Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer Nadal and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. It is uh, Miami. We close in on this Thursday on the conclusion of Miami, somewhere where, uh, Amy, you have spent uh, the last week and uh, none of our big three were there. What was the feel of this Miami Open? Did it feel like there was a void, like there was something missing? Because that's a, that's a big debate, right? How much can a couple of players mean to this sport? It's a complicated question. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was a void, but it may not be because the big three were missing. It may have just been <laughs> the wide open void of exurbian um, Miami Gardens, Florida, or Opalaca, Florida, whatever it is. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's tennis played in a football stadium, and something just doesn't seem quite right. And, and uh, this is no diss whatsoever to the, the city of Miami, which is the, the most cool, diverse city. I mean, it really, uh, among U.S. cities, it's one of my favorite cities. But they've taken it out of that, and they've put it in a place where Walmart is across the street you know, and um, the other thing is, this is no diss to James Blake, because that guy is doing the absolute best he can, and um, I know that if he could change some things, he would, so Tour- that Tournament means, director, tournament director, yes, James Blake. Yes, um, that being said, yeah, there's something missing there, and, and when 13 plus players have to withdraw or drop out, it's, it's a problem. And I think if you ask me, there's any number of reasons why there were a high number of dropouts, but the number one reason is probably that the players just want to get on to clay season. And this is, if they're not going to clean up with a lot of money and a lot of points, it's kind of like, what am I doing here? And I think, you know, ultimately that's probably the reason that Rafa skips this event so often because he's ready to get on to clay season. So you probably, though, we've talked about some reform ideas. I mean, I think you and I talked about this once before, Amy. Uh, change the date, change the surface. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to change the date, you might not need to change the surface. If you're going to change the surface, you maybe ne- not need to change the date so much. I mean, I, I would want the players to get a block of time in between, but um I mean, look, this is like pipe dream kind of stuff, like tennis powers being all on the same page, which they're not. And it's unclear if they ever will be. So let me preface that. But I would actually start the tennis season in South Florida because it's it's such a wonderful place to be in January and the weather is temperate. And I would have Miami be 
this special tournament that starts the season. Now people say, well, you can't do that because the Dolphins are playing in their stadium in January. <laughs> um, I would actually move the tournament back to where it was, which was Crandon Park. I would make it a much smaller event, very much like Monte Carlo, a very special event and fix up Crandon Park the best you can. Don't expand it because that seemed to be the sticking point, but make the refurbishments and the repairs that they would allow. And then just make it like this very, very special Masters 1000. Um, don't set, don't try to sell tickets to every single person on the planet. And that's why this is unrealistic because a corporation owns the tournament and they want to sell as many tickets as possible. But that's what I would do. And then I would shift the entire Australian swing, including the Australian Open, to where it was in 2021, which I thought worked out really well. And they ended up playing it in February. And, uh, and then, you know, keep Indian Wells where it is. That would be my plan, but that's again an ideal world. And and if you did that, you wouldn't have to change the surface. You could keep it hard court. That's yeah, that's that's an approach, and, and it, that's been discussed before. And it's kind of fun to just ponder those things. And then the other mm -hmm. the other thing that's been discussed, though much harder, is like, oh, right, let's start the clay court in Florida, and let's make it a clay make it make it a clay event, similar to the way the women next week are going to be playing in Charleston. But these things. These things, you know, it is interesting. The Sunshine Double, which sounds so fun, is 3,000 miles across the country. I mean, it's not, you know, New York, Boston, or LA, San Francisco. It's a, it's a quite a trek, and the players are often coming to Indian Wells from, uh, from places like Dubai and Doha, etc. So it's a whole, um, it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of travel, and it's a different set of conditions. The weather, uh, Amy, we've been in Indian Wells. I haven't been to Miami in a few years, but it's a different different feeling of the of the weather and the energy and wind yeah the, yeah the, Go air, ahead, the air is polar opposite right you cannot find a drier place and then you cannot find a more humid place back to back and that doesn't just affect how the ball travels it also affects literally how your breathing feels so i mean it is not an easy transition and i think it it's sometimes taken for granted with that being said what fascinates me about this is you know you do have days off at Indian Wells in Miami and the players experience back-to-back -back Masters 1000 tournaments with no days off when it comes to Madrid Rome or when it comes to Canada Cincinnati so while you know there there is a sense that this is some insanely difficult thing to do from you know Indian Wells to Miami and it's physical and all that and I wouldn't really disagree with that I'm also thinking well how is it any different from these other two instances where you have two week stretches and the players don't get days off. I'll give you one big difference and, and we can, you know, hash this out and you make great points. Indian Wells has become so awesome what they have done with it. And the weather is so good. It almost never rains and it's literally the perfect time of year. So, what it's become is like a big tennis convention and all the sponsors go out there and tennis channel shoots bag check and everybody's out there getting their material for the year. 
So the players are under a lot of obligations. Plus they have their obligations to the fans and, you know, to the turn. And, and this year was particularly intense because you haven't had Indian Wells in its regular spot on the calendar for, for a couple of years. So if you just like listen to the players, they'll tell you, oh my gosh, I had to do a photo shoot. Then I had to do a meet and greet. And then I had to practice. And then I had to play my match. And so you're doing that. And, and in some cases you're playing on back-to-back -back days. That's why it is particularly exhausting, in my opinion. I think you're right. Yeah, and then the part about the weather, it must be interesting to see what they go through with, uh, with equipment and practice. I mean, because there's always at Indian Wells a kind of a, a ball control issue because of the thin air. And then you're right, the humidity. It's funny though, I always, uh, being on the West Coast, I've rarely played in that kind of humidity. But when I have, one thing I do like, it's a, it's a great lobbing conditions. It's pretty hard to lob long in the humidity. Because <laughs> it's kind of thick. You know, Hawaii, Florida, these places you can, but, but for the pros, for the pros, it's a lot of adjusting. I mean, string tensions and and yeah. then and heat. I mean, you could see you could see why players are being very pragmatic about how they schedule and manage themselves. On the other hand, Joel, it's easy to lob short, and you don't want to do that. I don't want to lob short. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, before we move on, and we want to talk about Carlos Alcaraz, we want to talk about Nick Kyrgios, two you know large stories over the past two weeks. What about the, the changing of the balls? I mean, this seems completely avoidable. We, you know, we're all tennis players and we, you know, are not probably as, as tuned in in particular about those fine details, but you go from a pen ball to a Dunlop ball. Uh, I think the players are very desperate and would universally love to just play with the same ball. And there's really, look, there's no sponsorship value there and i understand that that pan and dunlop and wilson the two the three main ball brands they might have little areas where they are collecting good publicity and, and sponsorship but i don't know this feels like the kind of this feels like a, a fixable issue that we can kind of standardize balls at least over the course of these stretches right the same ball for clay season the same ball for north american hardcore etc almost a microcosm of the sport itself, isn't it? It's almost the allegorical representation of tennis and leadership and money and the fiefdoms that have always been part of this sport. So yes, yeah, yeah, we're, I guess, I guess we call this, this is what happens. This is, we go, without, without the three playing in these events, we enter into our, into our, our dream phase, right? <laughs> uh -huh. Dreaming and reform, calendars, balls, sure. Sure, it's, it would seem so, it would seem so, but it's not. And all have their reasons, don't they? It's like, I've been in rooms with, with tennis leaders and they all, they all preach certain reform, but none of them wants to give up their little, their, their little, their little neighborhood. Yeah. I, I think it's a good point, Gil, and, and the ball really does make a difference. I mean, I was reading about, you know, Ash Barty's coach saying that um, 
she would never win the US Open because the they play with different balls and the men and women play with different balls. And I happened to have a box sitting next to a chair in my bedroom of practice balls that were used at last year's US Open that I stole from the practice court. They were going to be recycled or something. And I said, can I have those? And uh, and in that mix of balls, there happened to be some uh, regular duty and some extra duty. So I'm like, hmm, let me pull these out. And I, I have pictures of it. Sure enough, one of the balls, I think it's the regular duty, is much fuzzier than the extra duty. Or maybe it's the other way around. I think the other way. Okay, there, there really is a difference. There really is a difference. So um, it, maybe that, you know, like this is one area where for reals, um, the, the players and recreational players like pro players and rec recreational players are miles apart. It, this minute thing really would matter to them. And, um, you know, although that being said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a counterclaim to my own claim. Um, me and myself and uh, Shane Leonge from Data Driven Sports Analytics, it was like, I don't know, a year and a half ago, because Rafa was complaining about the balls differences so much. We actually did a study of all his tournaments that he's won with different balls. And the conclusion was it didn't matter. Well, well here's, here's <laughs> it didn't matter one bit. Here's the thing about equipment. Every tournament I always go to, particularly the majors, ball is what i call that's a that's a that's an end by end of wednesday story that's one of those first three days it's like let's see what do we got the first few days the falling of the locals the the mile the, the possible upset and then some the, the speed of the surface you know it's all like ah, is it playing this year oh, faster or slower and then there's a part where i think okay they're professional players and so this gets to my equipment question which i've asked racket people and there really isn't an answer who would benefit more from extraordinary tuning of a racket? Uh, I, we recreational players who could really use as much care and feeding as possible to get our proper strings and grips and weights and all this stuff, or the pros for whom it's highly calibrated, but the pros you'd think, well, can't they hit with anything? But then I'm told that the, at the highest level, the margins are so narrow and they're like, you know, violinists who get, and, and, and what are we gonna know anyway? I mean, how, how well is a recreational player going to distinguish between a racket that's strung at uh, you know, 56 and 52? Will they truly anyway? So with the balls, it's just like the same so for the pros. And the pros, I think people like to uh, complain a little bit. So the pros the first few days, if they're asked about balls and surface and, and the sun, yeah, you know, oh, the... Uh, the, 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 wind, the, the temperature, it's three degrees warmer than usual this year. How is that affecting your topspin? Um, <laughs> oh, oh, and there's so much, and there's so much, um, there's so much detail around tennis these days, you know, the acceleration of science and analytics. I was just noticing uh, this, these last few weeks reading transcripts, maybe due to all these analytics and YouTube, the players seem a lot smarter in discussing what happens in the course of their matches. I mean, I'm thinking when I used to read transcripts 15, 20 years ago, there's a little more fuzziness about what was actually occurring out there. And so now it seems there's a different level of cognition because the players are attuned to second serve percentage and, and patterns, you know, there's more data available. So there's a kind of a upgrade. So it applies, to, it might apply to equipment too. Yeah. I think the, the people playing for 50 grand 
might matter with the equipment a little bit more than than us. Uh, but <laughs> the more consequence, it's just more consequence for sure. Yeah, no, I'm. But the awareness, but the the significance is interesting to see. Yeah, yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. Does anyone believe that Ash Barty could not win the U.S. Open because of a slightly different ball? That was a weird comment. But that was that was that's kind of coach talk. That's the coach acting as the press secretary. Right. Right. And that's a coach that that wants to put expectations in the ground so that. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's different styles. Right. Not every coach is like that. Well, and now they've been now it looks at least for the moment they've been permanently grounded on her case. She's not going to win the US Open. Exactly. Don't expect you're going to hear anything like that from Goran Ivanisevic. We'll put it that way. You know, there's just different styles. That's mm-hmm. right. Exactly. Um, let's go to a couple of players who have stolen headlines. I mean, we we talked about Alcaraz in our last show. And in the end, we kind of pondered, like, is this going to be a player who not just years down the road, but right now can threaten and affect the course of history as Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal look to continue to dominate the top of the the sport and ultimately add to their slam tally. And it's looking more and more like the answer to that question is yes. Right, Joel? Oh, this guy, this is that watching that six pass match the other night, that's point with a tw- there are these great point with a tweener and another tweener and then into the net and an angle volley winner. That's going to be one of the best points in the history of tennis. I mean, yeah. he, he's making me think <clears throat> we're in the middle of kind of a, uh, a software upgrade akin to what Nadal brought in in 05 when he started to dominate clay, what Agassi brought in in 88. These are both teenagers and brilliance becomes brilliance. These guys are just so good. So young. Um, Amy, you were, you're in Miami. What was, what was your sense of it all? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's definitely a buzz on top of buzz on top of buzz about Alcaraz. He, to me, to my eye, I think the shot, he has a shot tolerance and an innate sense of when to turn defense into offense or when to leave something as neutral or when to just play defense um he has an innate sense that the big three also have to me that's the commonality more than any technique or or pattern of play or anything like that that being said uh carlos did say at miami and in the post match press conference that against Tsitsipas that he was playing certain patterns like 
three balls to the backhand and then one to the forehand. And then if that didn't get the job done, repeat the pattern. So I was like, wow, this guy is 18 years old and he's already talking about very specific kinds of patterns that that puts him miles ahead of, of, you know, the players that are like 50 to hundred in the world that I don't know that they're thinking about that to that level of detail. So I think you're spot on about that, Joel. Well, I just think the, the, it is exciting. He's incredible. I mean, I was talking to some uh, ex-pro friends of mine and were thinking, how do you play that guy? What would, what would a great strategic mind like Conscious Segura say about how, you, how do you compete versus Alcaraz? Let's, just, let's not even think about beating him right now. The, his last loss was a three-hour-plus match to Nadal. Uh, and let's just see that. I'm not saying he's going to win uh, you know, six straight tournaments, but I just mean the the excitement he brings and it's kind of it's kind of always neat to see the the fingerprints of obviously you see the the Nadal influence in comportment and poise and all of that and then he's got his own his own a game all his own about power that's sometimes reminds me again of the young Agassi but a lot more um even more thought about again about patterns and about how to apply his pressure and most of all his his alertness I mean he's He's so, he's so engaged by it all. He's so loving competition. I mean, I see who knows where the wins are going to come and the losses and down the road with Roland Garros and it's all upside for him now, but it is just, he's just a, what a, what a breath of fresh air. He might be one of our next three. Uh, Yeah. That is, if you ask me, so what's the commonality? Where am I drawing a line between the big three and Carlos Alcaraz? The commonality is that I can't really figure out what they're bad at that I look at, I'm checking so many boxes after box after box, you know, it it becomes not about, Oh, he's similar to them or one of them. It's just, Oh, he's great. Like them where I'm going to, okay, Joel, as you said, the mental, I agree. He, He looks amazing as a competitor. Then you go to the physical. Is he fast? The fastest right now. Is he powerful as powerful as anyone right now? Does he have feel? His backhand lob is like Andy Murray's. His forehand drop shot is like Nadal's. You, you continue to, to check boxes with him. And I, I completely land in the same place. It's like, well, what, uh, you know, what's the play here? All right, so we went, we went really uh, pretty long on, on that. But uh, I guess let's still get to Kyrgios. Um, you know, he, on one hand, in the last two weeks, has played probably the best consecutive tournaments of tennis that he's played in a very, very long time. And honestly, he was really good at the Australian Open. I mean, that match against Medvedev was really good. Um, so he's had a good season. At the same time, we've seen both times that he has lost. Uh, there has been absolute blow-ups uh, mentally. So you know, as someone who is demands a ton of attention in the sport, uh, gets a ton of attention, someone who has beaten all three of Federer and Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, he's someone who is going to continue to be talked about, but what is the right way right now to cover Nick and Amy, you were in some of the press conferences with him. You spoke to him last week. I mean, how do we go about this when he is losing control on court about like, it almost feels like uh, every several matches. I think 
first of all, he's a complicated guy. He's an intelligent guy. And he is someone who, by his own admission, and he, he can be very, like, self-deprecating and, and admit that he's, he's messing up. Um, which doesn't often get get talked about, or that's not the bite, the sound bite that we used. But um, he says he's trying very hard, and it's. It, I think it's kind of a case of some days you tame the demons, and some days the demons take over. Um, that being said, so so the way we should look at him, I mean, it's so easy just to say, well, he melted down again and, and get mad and and do the outrage over him and all that. And and believe me, I have felt that. I, I watching him at Indian Wells after he melted down after the match with Rafa, I was so frustrated. Like, can't you just leave the court in a dignified way? You just played a great match against one of the all-time greats. Just take the the L and you know, just in a dignified manner, leave, shake hands and leave the court. Um, but after having talked to him, I think I understand a little bit more that he's got problems and he knows he does and he's trying and he's, he admitted like, this is hard. He, I think he said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done is try to, to keep himself calm. Um, but that being said, he, is very much needed in the sport because as in his words um he's not white and he he plays a different way and he's very entertaining and he fills stadiums and we need somebody that shakes things up and makes us question who we are as human beings and and gives us the opportunity to empathize or think about our own demons that we're battling so i think that's very much needed for the sport that being said the atp cannot tolerate his bad behavior and they have to come down on him when it's appropriate i think in some ways his anger with the rackets shows that he's caring a little bit more in a certain kind of way that he act that these matches, these outcomes, these matches really do matter to him because for so long he's come off like he could give a flying Fig Newton about the tennis and his matches. And so that's kind of encouraging, but at the same time, it's, it's disturbing because he's choosing, I mean, in, in both his press conferences after his losses, he kind of said, okay, I'm flawed. And, and he said to some report, are you content? You know, I'm, I'm, are, are, you, are you at ease? You know, and he, and, he, and he has this thing and he does that. He has a very uh, bullying-like way when he does that stuff. And it's not, it's not one of his finest hours when he talks to people that way. Because you see, and you see that there's, there's parts that are under control. Like I noticed when I was at the match when he lost to Nadal at Indian Wells, he made sure to look Rafa in the eye, to shake hands with the umpire, to do all the proper things to show, see, I am a dignified, gracious competitor. I lost. And then he throws the racket and, and does that. And then he got into the whole umpire in Miami, into the umpire in Miami. And he, he's, he's, I love watching him. Not, I don't care to watch him because he throws tantrums. He plays great tennis. Yes. And he's not a stupid tennis player either. Smart tennis player. He, he, he builds his patterns and he knows how to use his shots. And again, he's a transcendent offense defense. It's like, it's a different, it's a way the game is, is, is constantly evolving to like, hmm, what's really defense? And he's keeping the ball in play, but it's kind of deep and it's kind of hard. And then he can shape the forehand and 
and drop shot and, and he knows how to volley and oh my god and that surf i mean he's he, he's incredible but i think it's it's also funny here's a guy who um who what uh celebrates team sports thinks he'd like to be in a team sport environment he's not fit for a team sport he's a solo act start and finish he, he's not going to have someone's back and no one's going to have the only person's back they'll have is kokonakis well, what about what about uh, at, at Labor Cup and uh, ATP Cup? One off, yeah, he'll do one offs for those. That's a. I, I think I think tennis players love those team events because they're unique, not yeah. because that's how they wish tennis was played, fifty two weeks a year. Yeah, I. Just, I mean, I I would push back a little bit on saying he's not fit for that. What I see is a is an evolving, dynamic human being. I mean, he's not fit for basketball. He's not fit for team sports. He's fit for. He's, I'm, I'm well, I mean, he he may change. You know, he may, he may improve. You know, or or he is changing. Actually, he is changing. So, I mean, I I just see a complicated situation here, and and it's it's so easy when he you know uses a. A terrible word or something like that or throws a racket it's so easy to come down on him and I'm one of those like with outrage and I'm one of those people that that does but um it is it really is complicated and and the race thing is is something that I learn matters more to him than you think it does um so that's something to keep in mind too and he really feels an affinity toward Osaka and some of the other players of color on tour um, because he feels that they have a, a shared experience in that way. So I, I thought that was introspective when he talked about that. And um, th I guess what I'm trying to say is there's more to him than meets the eye. There's more to him than just a, a talented hothead. I agree. I think he's really fascinating. And I think this year he's revealed a new level of, of fascination with some of his statements and his actions and winning that Australian Open doubles and his commitment. I think, uh, and I believe he's not playing clay. He's skipping clay. Is that right? Did I see yeah. that? So yeah. I think I think when we point, our, point ourselves in tennis in 2022, clay tennis will be interesting for tennis in certain ways. I think a lot points towards Wimbledon this year because you got someone like Kyrgios skipping clay, Murray skipping clay. He's working with Lendl in Florida. Um, uh, the, 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 a lot of Americans who I think they're going to do whatever they do on clay. So I'm not, I'm not sweating. However, it goes for Taylor Fritz or Seb Corder, Jensen Brooksby, Roland Garris, but Wimbledon, Wimbledon is going to be a really interesting confluence of storylines in 2022. And Kyrgios is going to be right in the middle of it. I mean, this is a guy who burst on the scene when he beat Nadal at Wimbledon. I mean, that, and that, that was eight years ago. Uh, so I hope, I hope there can be more from him. Good tennis. He's putting a lot more effort into the sport at the moment. And while, you know, some things have remained the same, like his tendency to blow up, that has really changed and improved recently is that he's actually just, you know, just playing with intensity, caring about winning point in and point out, you know, regardless of if he does some crowd pleasing hot dog shots at love 40 or something, the things that he likes to do. Uh, but he also needs to start taking accountability more for his behavior. And that's, I think, the most concerning part about it is that hours after the match, and I've been someone who has always given, I try to give players a pass when they just leave the court and they say something, which like 
some, sometimes people in our comment section have gotten mad at me, but I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to give a player some time to cool off before I take their words in full weight. Five hours after the match, he's, you know, still tweeting about Carlos Bernardes. It's like, well, you know, it's time to, it's time to like come up with something better than that at that point and to take some accountability and, you know, the same for just always looking for something, something where it's not his fault, you know, whenever he's right. to grab on. If he's, if he's working on something he really needs to work on, and I'm not a therapist, but yeah. I am a parent. He needs to work on accepting responsibility. And I, I really think the ATP really is the parent here and they've got to come down on him. Ooh. He shouldn't be permitted to tweet about Carlos Bernardes five hour derogatory things five hours after the match like that should be finable and and don't give me the free speech thing there are rules and the 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 tours have got to start protecting the chair umpires and not putting up with this kind of abusive behavior 100 percent. let's end on that couldn't agree more That'll do it for this episode of three. Uh, remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.